James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Happy New Year to you, Emmanuel. I want to speak to you today before we begin our teaching from the Bible, whether you're at the Shoreham site, at Oasis, at the Villas, or at the Clarendon Centre, or watching this online. I want to appeal to you at the beginning of this year and encourage you really to establish, make this year establish a regular Bible reading habit. We have been doing this as a church and I want to encourage you to join us at the beginning of this year. Reading the Bible every day is not something that's just very easy. It requires some uh, intentionality, but I have never met anyone that has regretted doing it. You know, what we find that when we do it, when we take time each day to open God's word is that his life-giving spirit impacts us. And it yields fruit in our lives. The Bible actually says, uh, Romans 12 verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now in the day and age we live, we're surrounded by communication all the time. And if we are not careful, if we don't have good, positive, life-giving influence, we are very easily going to be carried away by the opinions and the philosophies of today. But let's not see that technology that's out there and it's getting at us all the time as a negative thing. Actually, no, it's an opportunity. It's easier to access God's Word wherever and whenever uh, you would like to than ever before. And so I want to encourage you, whether you are the kind of person that wants to read the Bible first thing in the morning, last thing at night, whether you want to take it with you on the go and just pull it up on your phone wherever you're at, whether you want to get the audio on during when you're in the car or where, I don't care. Let's be people that get in the Bible this year. Make it work for you. We've got a plan. We are Emmanuel.com forward slash Bible. And we've got a full year plan. You could do the whole Bible in a year with us. You could just do the New Testament. We've got, last year we did daily devotional videos for every day of the year. Use them if they help you. Whatever means, do it with friends, do it on your own. Let's be Bible people. That's who we are. And it's going to yield great fruit in your life. I want to encourage you with that before we get in. We are getting into the Bible right now. In fact, we're going to be doing a series starting today on the uh, biblical book of James. And our series is called uh, Resilient. And we've entitled it that because the purpose of the letter is all about Christians thriving in adversity. 
And we want this series, whoever you are, to equip you to help you and make a tangible difference in your life. About 10 years ago, there was a sort of best-selling book called Anti-Fragile. And it was this, kind of explored this idea of how actually stress and strain and trial can actually produce something that is positive and good and is helpful. And it gave different examples. An example of it, uh, one example is something that's found in the 19th century called Wolf's Law that actually is a phenomenon that people see where bones actually get stronger when they're under stress and strain. Okay, you think, think of like a, t a tennis player, okay, their arm that they use to hold their racket and they're constantly putting it under stress and strain. We can easily think that the, the muscles will develop because of that, but actually even the bone itself gets stronger because of that. And we want to sort of explore that theme by looking at this uh, letter uh, from James. Because he's very obviously, as we'll see in a moment, speaking to people who are in a season of difficulty and trial. But he's wanting them to see that there is something positive that comes out of it. That God actually uses the trials of life to do something phenomenal in us. And he wants his readers and us to see that. And it's actually something of a, a great gospel theme we see right the way through the Bible. You know, one of Jesus' disciples was called Peter. And just before Jesus was going to be crucified, he said to Peter, you know, basically, Peter, you're going to fail, but I've prayed for you that you're going to prevail in the long term. You're going to go through something that's difficult. It's actually going to be your weakness that's going to be involved. But because I am working through that, you're going to flourish. And that's what we see in the life of Peter. He denies Jesus, but then he goes on to be establish the, the Christian church. And God uses him amazingly. And that's an, just one example of many of how God uses, whether it's even people's sinfulness or the difficulties in life, God works through it in order to create something that's positive and good. And when we talk about this word resilient and look at this um, letter from James, let's see it in that light. Let's look at it then. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he introduces himself. But we can say a little bit more than that because it's generally accepted that James, the James that's written this letter, was the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. And it's interesting that he actually wasn't one of the disciples. It seems that even though he's a brother of Jesus, he didn't actually believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but came to faith later, post-resurrection perhaps. But what it... We do see, and it's referred to in this, that second little bit there, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. James is someone who has become a leader in the Christian church, probably based in Jerusalem. And he's probably writing this letter uh, to uh, perhaps a, a range of churches in his locality. And with this message that he wants to bring to them. And that uh, reference there, 12 tribes in the dispersion, I guess he, what he's kind of saying there is, we as the Christian church are a continuation. It's an allusion to the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, and saying, actually, we're continuing God's story. And something that was true about God's story of his people through the Old Testament is that they went through many different difficulties. And sometimes the tribes were dispersed, but God was still using and working through that. 
and actually those kind of themes are continued uh, through the, 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 the letter as we will see. And he begins by referring to different difficulties that they might be facing. And what he's saying here, a key headline for this, is that genuine love for Jesus does not automatically lead to maturity. James's pastoral heart for his people and the people he's writing to is that he wants them to get to maturity and he's trying to help them get there. So we can conclude, oh, it doesn't happen automatically. You, you, you become a Christian, okay, there's a journey to go on. There's a journey, actually God wants to do something to bring you to more maturity, to strengthen your faith, to take you forward, and actually God's word helps us to get there. And this is the help that James gives to the people he is writing to, and that we can appropriate it for us as well. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, I want to take the first three verbs there, the first three doing words, and just kind of focus on them one by one. I'm going to mix up the order and that will make sense as we go, the reasons why. Firstly, I want to take this when he says, when you meet trials, meet trials. Notice he says, when, not if, if you have trials in, in the Christian life. No, no, he's saying so, that's normal. You, if you, you're, you've got trials right now. If you're a Christian, you've got trials and difficulties in your life. What James wants to say to you is, okay, that, that's normal. That, that's normal. That is what happens. And again, the, sort of the reference to the Old uh, Testament there is uh, illustrative of this. Okay, if you read the Old Testament, they went through all sorts of difficulties, some self-inflicted, some circumstantial. But the whole story of the Bible is God working through circumstances to bring his people to himself. And Jesus said it himself, John 16, to his disciples, in this life you will have trouble. And James is not really limiting it to one type of trial. It could be that he's speaking uh, directly into a situation of uh, persecution. We know in the first century that was, that was a real thing, that the church was persecuted at different times. But he's saying various sorts whether it's persecution, whether it's just ha trying to navigate being a Christian in a hostile environment and the, the temptation to be pulled away into the way that the world is going, into worldliness, whether it's external difficulties, things that come upon us, circumstantial things, ill health, uh, pain, just poverty, grief, or whether it's sort of relational difficulty, people that disappoint us, people that reject us, people that sin against us, loneliness, whatever it might be, it's, it's all there. So whatever trial that you're facing, James has got something to say to you today. Some of those trials are because you're a Christian, some of them are just in spite of being a Christian. And it's similar to what the Apostle Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says a similar thing. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. Any supposedly Christian teaching that you hear that gives you the impression that actually what God wants you to do is, wants to do is completely take you away from any difficulty in life and just have everything comfortable and easy, that is a direct contradiction to the Word of God. Expect difficulty. When it comes along, don't think, this is strange. I wasn't... No, no. What James is saying here is, don't be naive. Don't, he's being real. Don't be naive. Trial will come in your life. If you're not in it right now, you will be there soon. But he's warning. It's a kindness. It sounds harsh, but it's a kindness because he's saying, you'll be thrown if you're not expecting it. You'll be thrown. You'll be pushed off. And, and you don't know, won't know how to respond. But he's actually saying, no, there is a way to respond. And that's the second point. He points them to what they know. Respond with what you know. That's the second verb here. Now notice what he's not saying. He's not saying respond by just putting on a brave face. By being a stoic. By just gritting your teeth, stiff upper lip. When things come that are difficulty, difficult to you, just, just plow through. That is the way to do it. Just pretend it doesn't hurt even though it does. You know, there, there can be something that's admirable about that. And it can even be seen as virtuous. And in some circles it's seen that that's a spiritual thing to do, to separate ourselves from the reality of the difficulty and pretend that it doesn't exist and just move above it. No, no that's, that's not Christian teaching. Christian teaching is, is not about disengaging emotionally from the suffering or somehow thinking that suffering itself is, is godly, just having it, oh, it's good. No, no, that's not what he's saying here. But we can, it's often presented that actually just enduring pain is, is, a, is a good thing in and of itself. I was watching a film just uh, last week. It's a fairly new film uh, called 14 Peaks. I wonder if you've seen it. It's about this incredible guy who sort of sets out this uh, challenge himself to scale the, the 14 highest mountains in the world and do them all in the, in, in the space of like seven months. No one's ever come even close to doing that before. And in the course of the film, it's a documentary film, one of uh, the mountaineers says, says, is very honest about what it's like to climb these uh, amazing uh, mountains. He says, people today, if you ask them, why do you go up the high peaks? They say, because it's fun. I don't believe them. It's not fun. It's a place where you have to learn to cope with pain because it's painful. And that's what some exceptional people in the world do. They just live with pain. And in some ways, wow, it's inspiring. It, you know, is, and is that, what, is that what the Christian teaching is? You just got to live with pain. That's virtuous. No, no, that's not what James is helping us with here. He's, he's not saying just put a brave face on it or just cope with pain. And he's also not saying, don't, you know, just be flippant about it. Just pretend it's not really that big a deal when you face the trials of life. And that's, again, another sort of coping mechanism. Another thing that we might come across as a way in which people try to navigate the, the harshness of life. Because life is harsh sometimes. Life is dark sometimes. 
and it's difficult. How are we going to respond to it? Well, in some, some people, to make sense of it, we'll just, let's just, in one sense, we've got to laugh or cry, so let's just laugh. Let's just make a joke of it. Let's take the, the worst things in life and just spin them around and just make it into a, a joke. And so, you know, a, a, a comedian like Ricky Gervais would sort of do this, take something that is just dark and, and, and use it as a source of, of comedy. And in one sense, there's something that's quite brave about that. He's probably upsetting a lot of people by doing it. But it's that idea, it's like, well, life is just crazy. Life is absurd. And, and ultimately, underneath, life is meaningless. That's where this is coming from. So we just, just laugh, laugh off. Just, just get through by just making it into a joke. It sort of stems from the same stream, I suppose, as Monty Python. Always look on the bright side of life when you're getting crucified. It's funny, but underneath, it's like suggesting that, well, life is just meaningless and we just have to find a, a way of getting through. James is saying something radically different to that. In fact, quite the opposite. Is life meaningless? Well, let's be honest, it's true. When we face trials in life, when we face the dark things in life, when we face difficulties in life, it's certainly confusing. Even as Christians, we can think, God, what are you doing? I don't understand why life is so hard. I don't understand why I'm having to do this. I don't understand why this happened. But what James is saying is, okay, you don't know everything. But he's pointing us as Christians to what we do know. Life isn't meaningless. Because life has been given purpose and meaning by God. And it's not just that it has purpose and meaning because God exists. But James is pointing us to the truth that God is at work for our good through it. So says that in Romans 8, 28. God is as at work. Therefore, trials can be productive. And that's what he says here, verse 3. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith. Testing. Now that, now that sounds like, well, it doesn't sound very positive. The testing of your faith. Like how does testing help? You know, when we have a school exam or whatever, it's like the test, well, it just brings out whether we have it or not. That's, that's not what he's getting at here. It's not a testing in terms of falsifying. It's more a crafting, more a honing, more a bringing forth a genuineness of something. It's more productive than that, that word testing that is described here. Because he says, let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's saying that testing of your faith through trials is taking you somewhere. It's taking you to somewhere where the to the point of perfection, to the point of completion. Now, again, with this idea of perfection, okay, what does that mean? Is that, is that really something that's appealing? Sometimes we think of, sort of, if we think of perfection as a moral perfection, someone who's morally perfect, is that, is that doesn't, doesn't actually sound very fun. <laughs> Not that appealing. You know, you might think a moral perfection, a complete cleanness. You know, a a nice, perfect, shiny set of trainers. They're perfect. Yeah, that's because you don't go anywhere with them. They don't get out of the box. There's no real 
there's no life there, perfection. Is, is that what he's saying? What we, we want to ascend to a moral, morally perfect state that we don't get involved with the reality of life. No, no, he's not saying that at all. James is pointing to us where the work of God through trials is getting us is a maturity in Christ. It's Christ-likeness. He is our picture of perfection. It's more about a completedness. It's more about us being the people that God has made us to be. That is the direction of travel. One commentator says, James is holding before his readers a vision for becoming everything the Lord desires them to become. A vision for becoming everything the Lord desires them to become. Again, in this this film that I watched last week, 14 Peaks, it's about this mountaineer, Nims Persia. And he does this incredible feat. And it's because he trains himself. He's trained his body so rigorously in order to do something that's almost superhuman. How, how could you do that? It's because he's got himself to a place that is possible. There's a purposeness in his activity. He's doing this so that. And... I want to make that connection with this uh, truth here about God making, pushing us and getting us towards perfection. Because this idea of perfection, we think, well, is that really necessary? <laughs> you know, God, through this trial, God's really working on my character. Huh. What use is that, really? Let's be honest. You can get through this life without a perfect character. You don't, you, don't need, you don't actually need that. You can live your whole life with a very flawed, flawed character and get through and, and, and scrape through life. So why, why is God so interested in, in working on our character, working on our maturity, making us more like Jesus? Does it really matter that much? Well, you can scrape through in life. But if you're a Christian, you weren't made to scrape through in life. And the reality is you are just looking at the here and now. But you weren't made for the, just the here and now. You're made for an eternity with God. You can scrape through in life, but God has made you to reign and rule with Jesus forever. And for that purpose, we need to be changed. For that purpose of being with Jesus, of enjoying the riches of eternal blessing alongside him, we need to be made ready for that. And this is the thing. This is what James is trying to get our attention on. It's because if we don't value this becoming more like Jesus, if we don't value Christian maturity, it's because we've lost sight of the eternity that Jesus has opened our eyes to in the first place. Yes, if this is all there is, just getting through a trial and, well, we just have to make the best of it. No, but it's not all there is. God has opened our eyes in Christ to eternity with him. That he is making us like him so that we can be with him and enjoy his blessing and enjoy him forever. And that's what James wants to lift our eyes to. We're all going through trials. Don't just look at the trial. Look at the eternal perspective that Christ has brought you into. God is at work in you because he wants to make you like himself. Get on board with that goal because that's where the joy starts to kick in.
That's when we realise, oh, he's getting me ready for joy. He's getting me ready to enjoy him forever. Okay, I'll go, I'll go through this trial. I'll get on board with what God wants to do in my life. Maturity starts to, to seem like a much better thing to prize because, oh, I get to be like Jesus and with Jesus and enjoy Jesus and have a capacity to enjoy Jesus forever. That is what this is about. And God is committed to getting us there. And that's why James says, count it joy in the trials. Be aware that God is getting you ready for joy and he himself is our joy. God is at work through the trials to strengthen us, to establish us, to equip us, to enjoy God's eternal inheritance for us. Church, I'm I'm being strong with us today because James is strong with us. He wants us to get, I don't want to at all minimize the trials that we're, we're all going through. Many of you are going through dark trials and difficult times. And I don't want to sort of skate over that and say, that, well, it's not that hard. No, it is hard. It is really hard. Some of you have got stories to tell about your trials that the rest of us won't believe. But James says, when you face various trials, count it joy that God is at work in that. Count it joy that he's given you an eternal perspective to understand the context of that trial, to understand that God is working through that trial to bring something out of you, to establish faith in you, to establish maturity in you that's going to set you up for an eternity with him. And so that is why he's being strong with us and saying, count it joy, count it joy, be rigorous with and deliberate in your daily decision making. Count it joy. Count. Now counting is not that fun. <laughs> counting something joy. In the midst of a trial to, to, to make a decision to choose to lean on God, lean on the truth of God, get into God's word, be reminded of it, choose to not dwell in self-pity, choose to not dwell in negativity, choose to not dwell in introspective, but to choose to rely on Christ, rely on God's love. Put yourself in the place of receiving God's love, choosing to worship, choosing to have faith that God is at work in the midst of it, even when you don't understand. That is not easy. But that is the discipline that leads to the joy. You know, it's the beginning of the year. I'm sure all the gyms in town are, are filled with people. I, w- I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't know myself personally, but I'm sure they are. But if someone went to a gym and never seen it before, see, oh, all these people, they must really love doing sit-ups. <laughs> no, they don't love doing it, but they're doing it for a purpose. The discipline gets you to where you want to go. And James is saying, count it joy. Yes, it's a discipline. Yes, it's not easy to do that, to put faith. But that is what gets us to enjoying God and and, and maturity that just brings life to us in a fresh way. And this is what Jesus was saying to his disciples again and again and again. That you've really got to trust God. 
You actually actively have to trust God. You know, James says, count it joy, because he assumes that they know that God is at work through the trials. Oh, yeah, I know God. He's at work in my difficulty. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you know, but you need to count on that. You need to live on that. You need to feed off that. And that's what like, Jesus with his disciples, he was constantly, what was he constantly saying to, to them? Believe. You've got to have faith. You've got to have, I know you believe, believe in me. Believe in God, yes, believe in me. Trust in me, have confidence. Where's your faith gone? If you had faith, you could tell this mountain to move over there. No, you've got to trust. It's not, it's, it's not enough just to know in a vague sense. No, trust me. Trust me, put your faith in me. That's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's where the maturity is. And that is what God wants to do through the trials. Finally, let's have a look at these last few verses here because as well as giving us this big headline of when we face trials, James then goes on to give us an example of a trial. And sometimes when we're in a trial, we think, I just don't know what to do. I've hit this circumstance. What do I do? Well, James gives us the answer. When you, if any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, let him ask God. And again, this is a reminder to us that what James wants to teach us here is not um, a, a technique. He's not advocating a technique. He's saying, what this is all about it's about being dependent on God. Not leaning on your own understanding. Lean on God. Ask God. You like wisdom? Ask God. Lean on your knowledge of him. And then he goes on to say, verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Uh, it could be the case that James has like come up with this phrase about being a, a double-minded man. It's a bit of a confusing one. It's, it's like someone who's torn themselves in two. They're, they're pulled in two different directions. And he uses it to describe someone who knows something of God but actually is not really trusting. Not really trusting that God has the answers and will follow through, will come through. He's talking about a divided person. And it's very relevant to what it's like being in a difficult time in a trial. Another illustration is like someone, if you, well, you're at a train station and you've got one foot on the platform and one foot on the train. You're kind of in two camps. You can live like that as a Christian. Well, you can for a short time anyway. You know something of Jesus. You, you trust to an extent in in God. Maybe you've trusted him for some forgiveness, but actually you're trying to live life just according to your wisdom or according to the wisdom of the world. You, your foot is in both camps. You can live like that for a little bit, <laughs> but when the train starts to leave the station, you've got to decide. Are you going to jump on the train or are you going to stay on the platform? And trials can do this to us. When we hit a trial, it's, it's a point of decision. When we think, this is so difficult. I'm in so much pain here. God, why have you, do, why have you done this to me? Why, why, is this, why is this happening? Can I really trust you? Are, are you going to trust him or not? 
Are you going to lean on your own coping mechanisms? Are you going to lean on something else? Are you going to lean on yourself? Or are you going to decide, no, I believe. I believe, God, you are with me. I believe that you do love me. I believe, I know enough of you that I can trust you in this. Well, James is obviously appealing to us. No, no, trust God in that. But he gives us a reason to do it as well. He says that in verse 5. Ask God. Why? Because he gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. James is speaking here about the character of God. He's telling us what he's like. He's not just giving us a technique. Here's how to get through trials. No, he's saying, you know God. I know God. You know God. Lean on him. Trust, find your joy in him. Depend on him. Why? Because he's generous. He is good. He's not going to reproach you. He's not going to turn you away. You can trust him. James has lots of strong things to say in this letter. We'll go through them in these weeks. We've heard some of them today already. It's not easy to hear that. Count it joy in the midst of a trial. But you've got to understand, James he knows God. He knows Jesus. You know, James has got some hard things to say, but he would be the most joyous person in any room. Why? Because he knows the joy giver. He, he's, he knows God. God is generous. He's not miserly. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We don't always experience all things. Sometimes in the trial we're very aware of what we lack. But God is generous. He has given us his son. That's what the cross is about. Jesus came to die for sin, to die for you. You can trust him. You can trust him in the trial. Why? Because he's given us Christ. He's given us Christ. And what we need in the midst of a trial is James to challenge us with joy, to arrest us with joy, to say, take hold of Christ again. He is your joy. He is at work. He is doing things in your life to bring you closer to him in Christian maturity. He's preparing you for an eternity with him. So that is how you navigate the trials, not on yourself. Come to Christ. Take hold of him. Count it all joy because you're counting on Christ. Let's take hold of him today. Amen.